Our teaching text today comes from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, for you are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hi, family. Uh, Trinity Grace Park Slow. Man, I have been desiring to visit and come and share with you guys. And God has provided the opportunity. Lo and behold, virtually, I wish I would have been there. I, I know that there's some people that I, I really wanted to see and hug. You know, we Latinos hug this COVID thing. Social distancing is killing us. But thank God for technology. Thank God for what he's doing through this means. And thank God that even though now I am in Miami, I can be connected with you as family. For those of you who don't know me, um, I was part of the Trinity Grace Church family for a while. And uh, my name is Robert and uh, part of the Trinity Grace Church, Washington Heights, which is now called Covenant Church. Tonight. So we're a family, it's, fam it's the familia. And it's a joy for me, I wanna thank Caleb Pastor Caleb and Pastor Josh for the honor and the opportunity to come and share with you. Well, let's get at it. Uh, you're in a series on prayer. And um, what better place to reflect on prayer than the book of prayer, which is the Psalms, all kinds of prayer. And today I'm really excited about what we're going to share because it's a prayer that speaks to one of the most amazing things about our faith. The, the prayer that we read in Psalm 51 shows us something that to me, it, it was the like, that's what I discovered about Christian faith, the Christian faith that turned my life around. And really, it doesn't really matter how much you've messed up your life, how much you screwed up, how, how, much, how much stupid decisions you made that have like thrown your life through, you know, to the abyss. There's always the opportunity, there's always the possibility of restoration. There's always the possibility of healing, of experiencing profound joy, a renewed sense of purpose and intimacy with God. 
And the route to achieve that, I, I do have to say, the route to achieve that is not an easy one, especially in our culture today. Because the route to achieve that is a painful one, but at the end of it, there's incredible joy. And the key word here is the word repentance. I mean, you can't understand the Christian faith until you understand this, this, this concept, this experience. Because more than a concept, it's an experience, the experience of repentance. In the Old Testament, the word is shub, and the New Testament is metanoia, and it captures uh, the essence of what a relationship with God, a rest restorative relationship with God is. Now, I know, and I have to admit, that when I throw the word repentance, it kind of has a knee-jerk reaction. So some of you may have had like an aunt or, or an uncle or a grandma that, you know, they, they judge in a judgmental way. They use the word. They, 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 they basically make you feel bad, talk, asking you to repent. And you felt that it was kind of a self-righteous way and a, and, a, and a very, you know, dismissive way in which you experienced the word. If that's true of you, let me say something. That's not what repentance is. That, 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 repentance is actually one of the most beautiful experiences. And this is what we learn in this psalm. And listen, it talks about something that even though we are allergic to words like sin and repentance in today's culture, yet we can't get away with it. We can't, we can't get over it. Um, uh, for example, uh, Sean Harper, he writes in the Washington Post, that in response to the uh, racial injustice of today, there, he says this, I have never seen so many corporate communications about systemic racism. And he talks about the fact that a lot of corporations and CEOs are making public statements of confession. So there, there's, the, the society is saying, we need somebody to confess what's wrong. We need, we need somebody to do something about this. And one of the one of the things we look for is show me, show me some contrition, show me some repentance so that I know there's hope. Interesting that in that article that Sean Harper writes, he also says that black employees doubt, seriously doubt those confessions. And, and, and the article goes on to say the reason why, and it calls, it says the inconsistency with historical practices. In other words, the repentance doesn't match the history when you go back and look at the practices in other words in, in words you know think about in, in the Christian way of thinking it doesn't go deep enough it doesn't go back enough and and we all get upset when we don't find that there's a genuine expression in repentance we want it but we want it genuine we want it real and this psalm can't get more real you know why? Because it goes deep and it goes back. It can't get real unless it goes deep and it goes back. And this is the same thing at the personal level. We are in a society where we are in a fixed, we like to, we have the illusion that we are in control of things. So even when we confess our faults, we quickly jump into the mode of fixing. But we can't. We have to dwell in the pain of repentance before fixing it. Uh, an author, a Christian author, that's one of my mentors, his name is Alan Hirsch. He writes about this and he says, you know, uh, deconstruction, he says, cannot come without deep awareness. And he goes on to say, we cannot reconstruct without deep deconstruction. 
And he goes on to say this, but it is in the depth of painful awareness of deconstruction that we received the gift. And the gift that he's talking about is the gift of repentance. The gift of seeing in a way that brings change, transformation. And then that brings a committal resolve to do something about things, to change things. See, you know you repent because you, 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 you not only want change, you become an actor of change as we will see in this psalm. So today what I wanna do is talk about this seeing aspect of repentance that cannot happen unless we go deep, unless we go uh, back. And the context of the story of this confession that is King David that writes it. And you know, it's a famous story. A lot of, a lot of us know the story, but maybe you don't. But basically, uh, David was intoxicated with power. First Samuel 11 and 12 says, you know, basically, you know, he, he was acting like the kings of those times would act, that whatever he liked, he took. And it says in the passage that he saw a beautiful woman bathing, undressed, naked from a rooftop, and he took her. He sat and he took her. Happened to be that that woman was the wife of one of his loyal friends. And what does he do to cover up the scheme? He makes up this thing, you know, brings the guy from a battleground. And at the end of the story, he ends up ordering the assassination of his friend to stay with his wife. And she gets pregnant as a son to King David. And everything is cool. You know why? Because when you're in power and in positions of privilege, hardly anybody comes up to you to tell you the truth in your face. And you don't mess with a king. But then... There are those friends, oh, God bless those friends that will risk it all to tell you the truth in the face. And there's this prophet called Nathan. He was a relative of David. And he doesn't tell David, he doesn't confront David up front. He goes side door on him. You know what he did? He tells him like this story of a guy that has this little lamb that treats like a pet and he's poor and this rich dude has a guest and he calls for the, for the lamb of that, of that poor man and he kills the lamb and he sacrifices, I mean, he gives it to, and David gets outraged. He says, how can that be? And then he says, that man should die. And Nathan says, you're the man. And what does David do? What people who are in power rarely do. He acknowledges. He doesn't make an excuse. He acknowledges and he confesses. And this is what we see in this psalm. This is the prayer. This is a masterpiece of confession that liberates you. I don't know if you noticed the joy and the intimacy that which this psalm, because, but the route is confession and repentance. And I want us to see basically two things that lead to this kind of restoration. First of all, you gotta name it. You gotta name it. But to name it, you gotta see it. And lastly, what I wanna say is, you gotta see it through a particular lens in order to see it right. In order to see it in a healing way. So let's look at it. First of all, briefly, I wanna, what, what do we see in verses, uh, uh, verses one, two, three, he, 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 I don't know if you noticed in the reading, the repetition of the word of the personal pronoun, my. In other words, it says my transgression, my sin, my iniquity. Lord, blot it out, take it out, it's mine. What, what David is doing is he's owning it. He's, he's not just talking about sin as this thing out there, he's owning it. And that's part of naming it. You have to own it. And when you own it, you can pronounce the ugly words that describe the faults. 
he uses words, these are ugly words, sin. That's a, I mean, I don't know, that's an ugly word. I don't like it, but it's true. Transgression, iniquity, evil. Because he's able to name it. He's able to own it. It says in verse 6, you delight in truth, talking about God. You delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You know what he's saying there? He's basically saying, most commentators agree, in my inmost being, Lord, I was not true. In my inmost being, I knew what I was doing, and I was not true. I did it because I wanted to do it. I don't want, there's no excuses, no buts. This is something that I wanted to do, and I, there wasn't truth in me. I sin because I want it, and that's owning it. I can't blame the circumstances, although the circumstances contributed to the problem. I can't blame the fact that I'm a king. What do you want? I mean, kings do that. Culture accepts it. This is kind of a norm of culture that's okay. Kings take what they want. He can't use that as an excuse. He could have. It would have been repentance. He, he doesn't go on saying, you know, oh, this woman, she shouldn't have been bathing there. I mean, I'm a weak man. Yeah, that's all true. Probably that's all true. But it's not repentance until you say, you know, and, uh, and the uh, bottom line, I did what I wanted to do. I did what I wanted to do. And he, and he owned it. And, you know, we Christians, we can't, uh, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, even less we can appeal to ignorance because we got, the, we got the Word of God. We got the Spirit of God that convicts us of all truth. I mean, we have to own it. And this is the principle here that no one, no one sins without wanting to. When I sin, when you sin, deep down inside, we should never say, and if we do, that's why we lack healing. We should never say the circumstances caused this, they forced me to do it. The devil made me do this a lot of, you know, Fanatic Christians, the devil made me do. There's a story, funny story I heard from a Hispanic preacher that the devil was depressed in a corner in a room and an angel come and asked the devil, hey, what's going on? Why are you so depressed? He said, I don't know, man. Everybody blames me for everything. You got to own it. You got to own it. But this is not where I want to dwell today. I want to dwell in the, 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 the secret sauce of this song. Because to own it and to confess it we first have to see it. We have to see it. We have to see it for the ugliness that it is. And that's, as Alan Hirsch says, that's a gift, my friend. That's a gift. It says here that to confess properly, I have to see. I have to see. Uh, one of the commentators of this passage, he says this about the psalm and the psalmist. This is not the fleeting mood of a depressed conscience, but the clear knowledge of a person who, shocked by that knowledge, has become conscious of his or her responsibility and sees things as they really are. He sees things as they really are. I want us to talk a little bit about this, seeing things as they really are. This is where we go deep. And this is, this is where... When we see our fault, we see, why do we have problem with words like sin, transgression, iniquity? Because we can't see. We can't see it. But when you see it, you can name it. You can name it as it is. And this is when we get in touch with how broken we are. But not only that, this is when we see it, when we get in touch of how much we have broken 
the heart of our beloved, the heart of God, the heart of our Father. He says, hey, for I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and I have done what is evil in your sight. Okay, before going further, there's a couple things that I want us to reflect on. As We have to assume something. We have to assume this. First of all, we have to assume that you and I will naturally not, we will resist going deep enough. We will resist going deep, deep enough. Why? Because it's too painful of a process. It's just too painful. And it's too disorienting. And not only that, when you go deep enough, that depth will require radical change. And we want superficial change. But when you see the depth and the, and the disorientation that it causes, and the, it doesn't call anything but radical change. And we resist those things. Basically, David had to be cheated into seeing his sin. Nathan couldn't just go straight and say, hey, you sinned, you, you killed your best friend, and you took his wife. No, he told him a story. He kind of like, you know, uh, enchanted him with a story for him to see it because we naturally resist, especially again, I want to say, if you are, if you have been brought up in power and privilege, oh, seeing is the most difficult thing. There's all means that we use to keep ourselves from seeing the reality of our brokenness. But the second thing is that we have to assume is that we can't do it on our own. That to see we will have, we need an external voice. We need somebody to help us see. And that's what Nathan is here. You're going to need a Nathan. I'm going to need a Nathan. We're going to need a prophet that has the wisdom, that has the loving care, has a relationship with us to tell us a story and to show us that we're the actors of that story that screwed everything up. We need those kind of people. And if you're the, the kind of person that says, well, I have God's word and that's all I need, you don't know yourself. See, we, don't, we see God's word with particular lenses, are, lenses on that even keep us from seeing the reality of what's there that convicts me. This is why I need Nathan's in my life. So assuming that, assuming that we will resist it, assuming that we're going to have, need an external voice, how deep do we go? How, how do we go deep to see it? The first thing is we got to see it as God sees it. We have to see it as God sees it. In order to confess, to admit, which is the first point, I have to see. But what I have to see is the way God sees it, which is very different from the way we all see it. It says in verse 4, Against you only have, a sin, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justify when you judge. But basically what he's saying, God, what you say is right, is right, is right. What you say is wrong, is wrong. Even though it might go against my instincts, it might go against the culture, it might go against the norm of the day, it might go against the way I feel. It doesn't matter, that's irrelevant. It's what you say. You have the authority, you have the wisdom, you're God, you're the creator of all things. You're the one who makes right right, and you're the one who calls wrong wrong. And my job is to hear your voice and tell me what you think about things. And when we see things the way God sees it, oh, how painful it becomes. How painful it becomes because it undresses us. I mean, there's a story of the beginning of mankind where Adam and Eve, they hide. They, they, can't, they don't want to see themselves the way God sees themselves. So they hide. And that's what we do. We hide. But oh, my friend, how liberating it is when we're able to be exposed by what God says is right 
and wrong, even though that may bring a painful experience into our lives. But the second thing and, and, and we have to see, we have to see things the way God sees it. Now, the way God sees it is kind of tricky. You know why? Because of self-deception. The way God sees, and this is, I want to dwell here in a little bit. Okay, I know I have a few minutes, but I'm Latino, and I can, you know, I'm making an excuse here. Um, we have to see, you have to see how you and I have inherited the sinful dispositions of our mother. Oh, what are you talking about? You're talking about my mama now? Ha, huh. okay, hold on a second, let me explain. In verse five, this is what it says. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, I like the translation ESV. This is the NIV that we read, but the ESV doesn't do that much interpretation. It goes more literal, literal, and helps us understand what, what he's getting at. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, some understand that he's talking about some original sin, the original sin that we inherited from Adam that was passed on through our parents to us. And that's true, but let me say something. That is like New Testament thinking that's way, way ahead. I don't think really David had such a sophisticated knowledge of the sinful nature of who we are. He didn't have that. That's Paul's thinking many years later. What is mother? What is he doing? Is he confessing mom's sin and I'm responsible for that? Or is he going like way back there, Adam and Eve? You know, I find that a lot of people like to go way back there as an excuse to say, well, that's the way we are. What do you want? We're sinful. We inherited from Adam. His fault. Some authors acknowledge this. For Israelites, a lot of times the concept of mother is not the physical mother. It's the societal, it's, it's the city, it's the history of the people that compose who I am. What do I mean? For example, many authors, especially the prophets, you know how they call Jerusalem? You know how they call Israel? You know how they call the nation? Mother. For example, the prophet Hosea, he speaks about Israel as unfaithful, as, as the city of Jerusalem as an unfaithful mother. And he calls the, 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 the citizens the children of that mother. Here's what he says, speaking about the nation of Israel, he calling her mother. He says, in he, calling out her, her unfaithfulness, he says, plead with your mother upon her children also I have no mercy, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she, for she said, I will go after my lovers. He's, he's comparing society, the history of the city, the history of the people as an unfaithful people, and the children have inherited that sinfulness that has been part of the corporate structure in which I was shaped and formed. That's what he calls mother. No wonder the psalm ends, I don't know if you noticed this, the psalm ends with a corporate application and systemic application of the psalm. Not only an individual. It ends saying in verses 18 and 19, May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. What is he saying here? The sin of David is, has, is, is tightly connected to the sin of the people, of the nation, of the city and its structure. And what it's saying here is David is saying, I inherited this. I am part of this. This may belong back to some history of the past that is not true of me. But this is what shaped me, my mother, my city, my culture, my history as a people. I want to give you another example of this because I know I got to make a case for this one. In verse 7, 14, it says, deliver me. One of his petitions is deliver me from blood guiltiness. What is he saying? Is he, is he just saying deliver me from killing people like I killed uh, Uriah, my friend? No, he's talking about the blood guiltiness of his mother, the nation. Uh, for example, Isaiah, using the same kind of words and thought processes of Psalm 51, he denounces the nation of Israel. Why? In Isaiah chapter 1. Because they are deeply embedded in a spirituality where they feel good about their spirituality, but it's disconnected from a history of injustice. In Isaiah chapter 1, he's denouncing their worship services. And he says, this is the prophet speaking as a mouthpiece of God. He says, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. I can't endure your gatherings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, these are celebrations that were ordained by God in the Old Testament. This is what God says, my soul hates them. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, this is like a mode of prayer. And I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. In other words, bloodshed. What David is talking about, Psalm 51. Deliver me, Lord, from, from blood guiltiness. The prophet says, is, you're all guilty of blood. Why? And he goes on to say, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Does this sound like Psalm 51? Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. And then he says, seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. See, our reading from privilege many times has created these barriers to keep us from seeing and owning not only our personal sin, but the sin of the system, of the structures that have shaped who we are in the present. And that is hard to see. It takes a gift, the gift of God. It takes a Nathan. It takes an African-American leader. It takes a person from the margins to come and show us what we naturally cannot see. This is precisely what we who call ourselves Christians in America are lacking in our repentance. And that's why there's little healing, by the way, I think. Personally, I think. That's why there's little healing. This is precisely what we have inherited from our mother, which we love. We love our nation. We love it. But when we look at our history, what has shaped us? We have to revisit that and say, I have been conceived in sin. And this is why this has conditioned a lot of, a lot of why I act as I, and unless I confess it and acknowledge it, my city will not be healed. We have to go that deep. 
We have to go that deep. The prophet Isaiah called blood, guilt, hands full of blood. When we spread our hands in a mode of prayer, when we have intense spirituality, when we seek the Lord with all our hearts, yet we're not seeking justice. We're not advocating for the oppressed. This is what we're not taking up the cause of the widow and the orphans and the, and the immigrants. And this is what the Lord says. I hate that worship. I hate that spirituality. You need to repent. Come on. Let us, let us get together. Come on, the Lord says. Confess. Repent. Wash yourselves. This is where we have to see our sins as God sees them. This is where we have to pray. God, I have done evil in your sight. So that you may be justifying your words and blameless in your judgment. Friends, when maybe you're a non-Christian and one of the one of the things that has disappointed you about Christians is the fact that they seem to be uh, aloof when it comes to uh, justice issues, racial justice, or um, even complicit. You know, when you when you observe that of us, please tell us. Maybe you are Nathan to the church. Maybe you're the Nathan to the church and we have to hear because you're right. If you call it out on us, you're right. But don't give up on us because God did not give up on us. And maybe we need your voice to help us see. And together, together we can embrace this healing process that we need to be reconciled, fully reconciled, experience the joy of this God who is who's a healing God. And that leads us to our last point. The good news. And this is the lens through which we have to see in order to be healed. See, if we get exposed to all this stuff and we're left there, we're done. We're done. You know why? God is a just God. You heard the words. He hates that stuff. He hates it when we are superficial about our confession. He hates it when we are complicit about injustice. He hates it when we are not owning our sin. When we, when we go behind his back and do things our way and, and live life like if he doesn't, he hates that. And he's a just God. He can't just let it go. So if we only have that to go forth, no wonder we hide from him. No wonder we don't want this. But this is the beauty. In verse, in verse 1 it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And the, the word there, unfailing love, some, some commentator says should be translated covenant love, faithful covenant love. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, chesed. What it's saying there is God is covenantly, he made a covenant of love with us. And in that covenant of love, he promises to show us mercy and compassion and renewal if we come to him and repent. You know why? Because there was bloodshed. And that blood that was shed, that we are all guilty of, instead of condemning us, is the blood that washes us, is the blood that cleanses us. It is the blood of, the, of His Son. He provided the sacrifice. He provided the lamb, the sacrificial lamb that shed the blood that we all need to shed. He shed it in our behalf. And it's that blood, instead of condemning us, even though we're guilty of that blood, is the blood that heals us because Jesus died on our behalf. He died in our place. He is the sacrifice. And because of that, now God makes a new covenant with us. And He's our Father. And He sees us in our brokenness as a Father sees a Son. And we can come confidently before the throne of grace and ask forgiveness. So God is ready to forgive us and ready to embrace us, ready to heal us. And when we do that, and David knew that, David knew he could come to God. You know what happens? Oh my gosh, this, um, these are the results. 
outrageous worship. It says in, in verse 14, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. And there's incredible joy. This is the guy who killed his friend and took his wife. I mean, how do you have joy, buddy? Well, he says here, the joy of your salvation restored to me, my God. And there's intimacy, enjoying the presence, the intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 11, what he desired most, God, do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. And this is the beauty. God is here to dwell and stay with us through his Holy Spirit. And that intimacy can be restored through repentance. And then there's courageous witness. He says, I want to teach transgressors now the ways of God. I want to call sinners to repentance. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. This, this courage, I mean, this guy has the gut after he did to tell people to turn to God. Why? Because his confidence is not in his own righteousness, but in the God who has compassion and mercy. And he can tell that story to others. But he does so with a spirit of humility. And it says here, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Don't you want this for you? Don't you want this beautiful life? The path is repentance. To repent, we have to admit. To admit, we have to see. We have to see the way God sees it. And God helps us see not only our individual sin, but how we are sons of a corporate sin that we have to own and confess and repent. If we want healing in our lives and healing in our hand. So pray for a new, renewed sense of listening and seeing. Be aware of where you naturally resist. Have Nathans in your life. To me, it's the African-American friend. To have brown people in your life sharing their story. How have they been victimized by a system that you are part of and maybe you're privileged from. And you have to own it. Because God wants you to see it that way. Confess and repent with the confidence that we have in Jesus who shed his blood to cleanse us, to embrace us, and to heal us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here listening to us and you're like exploring the faith, oh man, let God expose your heart. Let him expose it. It's going to be painful, but it's healing. It's life. It's restoration. It's what he's inviting to. Maybe that's why you tuned in today. And if you want to know more about this faith, we invite you to connect with us in the connection uh, 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 link that we provide for you. Talk to us. We want to journey with you in this beautiful life of painful journey of repentance that leads to joy, liberation, intimacy, courage, and humility. God bless you.